We're in Luke chapter 5. We're going to be reading verses 1 to 16. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 16. One day, I'm sorry, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners of Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one but go and show yourself to the priests and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So we're making history right now. <laughs> COVID-19 is, is really changing Everything, and it's, it's shocking. It's changing the way that the world operates economically, socially. I think perhaps more than, uh, more than those things even, it's changing how people think right now. It's changing people mentally. People are afraid because science really doesn't have an answer for this virus. Right now, we're, we're waiting for that. And I admit it's, it's startling even to me. I've got a baby on the way. My wife is in the category of compromised immune system, and that is scary. I don't want anything to happen to my wife or my baby. But how, how should Christians respond in times like these? Even more, how, how have Christians in history responded in times like these? Well, historically, when the world fled cities that were infected with major plagues and and viruses, Christians stayed. Christians stayed. Why? They they stayed to serve the dying. They stayed to preach the good news of the kingdom. 
Jesus said to us, if you save your life, you will lose it, right? But if you lose your life for my sake and for the gospel, you will find it. It is armed with promises like these that Christians throughout time have been willing to put themselves in harm's way to serve the weak, to serve those who are facing not just present trouble, but also potentially eternal trouble, facing the wrath of God. Martin Luther, for example, in 1527, he, uh, the severe bubonic plague came to Wittenberg, and he refused to flee the city, though many challenged him that he, he ought to do so. And in fact, it, it cost him his daughter's life. Even so, he, he wrote a, a tract entitled Whether Christians Should Flee in the Plague, where he called Christians to not flee, but to be willing to die at their posts. He, uh, he said, it's not time for people to neglect, neglect their duties of serving the sick or pastoring congregations, whatever the duty. It was time to take up the cross of Christ and serve. Now, this may seem foolish to some of you. <laughs> to others, it, it is an admirable thing. And, and to be clear, in making this point, I'm not saying we throw ourselves foolishly into harm's way or that we willy-nilly do things that might end up spreading the virus. In fact, we're <laughs> taking a lot of precautions trying to care to prevent that from happening. But I do, in, in making this point, I, I simply am trying to ask the question, why is it that Christians respond differently than the world responds? Why do we respond so differently? I believe our our text today from Luke has an important lesson for us. And in the retelling of the call of the first disciples, we'll actually see today that Jesus' presence is perspective-orienting. It reorients perspectives. So I want to spend the next several minutes talking about this. Jesus' presence reorients our perspective. But not just in how we think about a virus like COVID-19, but it reorients our perspective on all of life and all of our problems. So let's, let's go ahead and jump in to verse 1 and point 1. Here's, here's my point. Uh, God's solution for the broken world is his presence. Is his presence Verse 1, on one occasion while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. So Jesus' ministry is in full swing. The sick are coming to him. Demon-possessed people are, are coming, and he's casting demons out with this crazy authority. He speaks a word, and they flee. He speaks a word, and they're healed. So people are coming in droves. They're, they're hungry for the hope and healing that they're hearing about. There wasn't a pandemic in Israel at that time, but what they were experiencing was Roman oppression. 
They were experiencing the effects of the fall, the effects of sin. They were experiencing sickness and demonic oppression and all these sorts of things. And it was driving people to Jesus like some of you were running to the stores for toilet paper this week. (laughs) They were driven to Jesus out of great need. And what was Jesus' solution to their problems? Let's read verse 3. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Jesus comes near to teach the people. Notice the word, or that phrase, word of God, in verse 1. They came to hear the word of God. See, God knows humanity's needs. Better than we understand our needs, God knows humanity's needs. And he came near to hungry and hurting people, and what did he do? He taught. He taught. He taught about himself. He taught about who God is because man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He taught them the word of God. Yes, Jesus came and healed. Yes, he cast out demons. But he states that he must go on and preach the good news of the kingdom to other cities. This is his primary purpose. He's preaching, he's teaching the word of God. This is one of the reasons we're gathering here today in the midst of this pandemic. We're we're professing and living out this faith that we believe that we live by the word of God over and above everything else. We believe that the solution right now for you and me and for all that this broken world experiences is Jesus. It's Jesus. It's what he has to offer offer us. We live by the word. We live by Jesus, And when God speaks through his scripture, when we read it, when he speaks through preaching and through others ministering the word to one another, when he speaks through images like the Lord's Supper and baptism, God comes near to us. He's manifesting himself to us when he speaks. His presence is manifest when he speaks. Verse 4. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night. We took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Jesus is not a fisherman. And he tells the very experienced fisherman to go and fish at a time that made little sense to fish. In fact, they had fished all night and were exhausted. I imagine Peter may have been a little bit frustrated, reminding Jesus, we just did that. We were just in those same places. I don't know if you've ever gotten fishing advice from somebody. It's kind of annoying if you've been fishing that spot. They're like, I saw somebody catch a big one right there the other day. Like, great, must have been doing the wrong thing. Jesus gives this advice, and though Peter is feeling a little bit annoyed, perhaps, 
he's got to now row this boat out, you know, work hard again. And he says, but at your word, I will let down the nets. I want to focus in on that, that phrase, they had caught nothing. They had labored all night and they had caught nothing. I think this goes without saying right now, but life is hard, isn't it? Life is hard. These moments give us a little bit more perspective in that reality. And if we are to do a little bit of research about how other nations are experiencing these sort of things, refugee crisis in, in Greece right now, the, the way that this virus is affecting other people is far worse than it's affecting us right now. All that to say, life is hard. Peter and his comrades, they had a bad night of fishing. I don't know if that means that they've had a lot of bad nights of fishing or if it's just one bad night of fishing. But they had labored all night and caught nothing. A couple weeks of that probably feels like the stock market's crashing in their world. You know, they've got problems. So he feels it. But Jesus says, do it. And so he says, okay, I'll let down my nets. Let's continue with verse six. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. <laughs> this is amazing. In an act of what would seem like omniscience, Jesus knowing exactly where the fish are, Jesus fixed all of Peter's problems. So it would seem. Seems like the problem is they don't, they don't have any fish. And in, an, in a moment, problems are fixed. It's good. They're going to have fish. They're going to be able to sell fish. Isn't it crazy? God, all he has to do is come near and things are transformed. Life that's hard, it gets, Jesus comes near and it changes everything. I mean, heals the sick, cast out the demons. With a word, all he has to do, things change, things get better. That should make us ask, like, what? why, God, are you right now letting all this kind of happen before us? Like, what? If that's all that you had to do is just say, hey, Peter, the fish is right there. Why doesn't he do that for us? Why isn't he just coming and ending COVID-19 and all the world's problems for that matter? Let's look at point two for our answer. Verses 8 to 10, Jesus' presence reorients us to the reality of our sin problem. Read verse 8 with me. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You'd expect Peter in that moment to jump up and down and freak out with his buddies, like, we just hit big! Let's go! But nope, he goes to his knees. Depart from me. I'm a sinful man. It's a crazy reaction. That's not our world's reaction right now to the gospel. Somebody tells you, 
hey, I got a winning lottery ticket for you. They freak out, you know. That would be the norm. But you say, hey, I have good news for you. It's the gospel of Jesus. He comes to you. It's like, get out of my face, please. But Peter, something is, has changed here. In the face of Jesus Christ, Peter's problems in life actually got really little. And his sin problem all of a sudden got really big. Peter realized who he was standing before in this moment. Jesus was not just any man. He had just manifested divine power. And so he feels all of a sudden, he realizes he's standing in the presence of God. This is a theophany. This is God manifesting his presence before Peter's eyes. And if we trace the scriptures, we'll find that everywhere where God's presence is manifested in a very tangible way like this, the response is typically fear. Fear because of sin. There's a reality that becomes very clear In the face of the holy, we recognize how sinful we are. This is Peter's response, and it's very much in line with what we see in the rest of Scripture. From the time sin entered the world through Adam, this has been the reality. Man cannot be close to God because he is holy and we are sinful. There's a separation Either a sacrifice of blood had to be made, or, or if that person came near and got into God's presence, it would kill them. What this tells us is that the problem with humanity, I need you to hear me, the problem with humanity is that we are unclean and cannot be in God's presence. That's, that's the greatest problem. He is the God of life. He is our need. And we can't get to him. Even more, we're actually blind to our need for him, so we don't want to come to him and find what we need because we're blind. We're blind in our sin and we don't want him. So we practice every sort of self-help tactic, apply every sort of age serum, do everything we can to undo the effects of sin and death. But we still die because we don't have God and because we choose things that are not God to be God for us. But Peter is finally seeing clearly here. Jesus' presence is reorienting his perspective. It's bringing him into reality. And Jesus, how does he respond to, to Peter? He, he says these words, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Somehow, though Peter is sinful and right to be afraid here, Jesus says these words, don't be afraid. He's right to be scared. He's right to be bowing on his knees. And Jesus doesn't say, get up. But he does say, fear not. He responds like, other theophanies that we see in scripture where, where the person who is bowing in submission 
hears those comforting words of reassurance and forgiveness, fear not. If we understood sin rightly like Peter did that day, Jesus' response should actually catch us by surprise. To hear fear not, we should say, how is this possible that that Jesus could actually say, fear not and and follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. How is it possible? Won't that taint Jesus' holiness and his mission for, for us to be in the presence of the holy God? How can Christ tolerate and even welcome Peter? Let me point you to verse 13 for our answer. Let's jump ahead there in the story of the leper. When the leper comes to him and asks to be clean, Jesus actually stretches out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Why am I connecting these two passages? Well, a lot of scholars connect these and believe that the two responses of the unclean leper and Peter being so similar, it seems like Luke has something important he's trying to communicate here. Both men call Jesus Lord. Both men are on their knees before Jesus. Both recognizing their need. Now, what is this uncleanness? How does that relate to sinfulness? I want to just make a, a quick point here. From in the, in the old covenant law, it, it wasn't sinful to be leprous. It's not a sinful thing to be leprous. However, that leprosy is actually representative of the sin that is pervasive in the world and pervasive in human beings. Therefore, they could not come into the temple or be in the community in a normal way because it would taint the community, it would taint the holiness of God. It was representing this impurity, this uncleanness. So the leper understood this, and he was desperate. He was desperate to be made clean. He wanted to be in God's presence. He wanted to be with God's people. And like Peter, he's bowing, saying, please make me clean. He wanted his life back. Jesus' presence reorients us to the reality, to reality by showing us what our greatest problem is. Friends, do we understand our need to be clean? This, this is, church, what where the gospel begins, do we understand that we need a savior? Friends, COVID-19 is not the greatest problem in the world. Not money problems or kid problems. No problem compares to the, the issue that we have with sin right now. That's what is obvious in Peter's response. Jesus' presence reminds us that the world needs cleansing from sin. Church, we should be mourning over the reality that sin is still present in our hearts and in the world more than we're mourning over the COVID-19 virus and how much it's wrecking the world's systems. Our, our 
are our problems bigger? Like our, 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 our finances, our, all the little details of our life, is that bigger to us than, than the fact that we need cleansing from sin? If so, that's a, that's a big problem. So Jesus touches the leper. When Jesus touched this leprous man, he took his uncleanness on himself. He was making himself unclean in that moment. He was identifying with his uncleanness. But not only that, he was offering his own cleanness to the leper in that moment. I want to show you how I'm making this connection here. Verse 14, Jesus told the the healed man to go directly to the priest and make an offering according to the law of Moses. Leviticus 14 lays out those instructions. And and in in those instructions, the leper leper would have had to go and offer a, a lamb and a turtle dove in order to be cleansed and brought back into society. So there's a blood sacrifice sprinkling of the man, touching of his right earlobe and thumb and big toe. And and all of this, all of this is getting at the fact that Jesus was going to come to the, go to the cross for us. Jesus, when he touched that leprous man, he was saying, I'm going to take your uncleanness. I'm going to take your sin. And you're going to have my righteousness. He would be the lamb slain in the place of that man so that he could have, so he could be brought back into the community, so he could be brought back into worship. All of it was pointing to the day when Christ would be slaughtered at the tree. The cleansing of the leper is an illustration of God cleansing and commissioning unclean, unworthy sinners like Peter like the leper, and like you and me. God's solution to the greatest problem on earth was his coming to earth to suffer in our place for our sin. The greatest problem on earth is our sin, and God's solution was to come himself, get into our suffering, and redeem our body and soul at the cross so that we could live for his purposes. And if the greatest problem on earth was done away with, if you have healing and forgiveness of sins, then those words, fear not, should be so comforting to us. Fear not. Take those words to heart. Not even death can separate us from the love of God. If every single one of us were infected, if some of us were to die You can hear those words, fear not, even in death. Because Jesus has conquered sin, which is the root of our death and our suffering. Let me finish up here showing you Jesus' commission to us right now in this important time. Verse 10 and 11, Jesus commissions us to bring his presence to the lost world. Starting in verse 10, and Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So just as they had been catching fish for a living, Jesus makes this analogy and says, yo, you're going to be catching men now. That's your new profession, guys. That's your new profession. 
and catch men they did. <laughs> they went on to pro proclaim the gospel. At the day of Pentecost, 3,000 were saved, and, and numerous after them, multitudes, came into the kingdom through their preaching. And they would end up giving their lives for the cause of Christ. Peter would be crucified upside down by Roman officials. They didn't have to fear anything or anyone because their sin had been done away with. When Jesus commissioned his disciples, he reminded them and even us that he would be with us always, even to the end of the age. What Jesus is reminding us of is that he's going to indwell us, that he indwells us by his spirit, that we become the temple of the living God. And that if he's with us, we have something to offer to the broken world. We carry a treasure in jars of clay so that we become his ambassadors saying, be reconciled to God. God through us making his appeal to men. In this way, when we bring the word to others, when we bring the gospel to the lost world, the presence of God is made manifest to them. This is how and why Christians stay put in the face of trials. We have the Holy Spirit and we've been cleansed of sin. This is why Christians stay put. This is why we react like we do. This is this is our hope because God has promised to those who trust in him eternal life in resurrection bodies. This is our hope. So let me just bring a few, few words of or application here. Affirmation. Hopefully affirmation. <laughs> Hopefully encouragement to you. Here's the big question for us today in the face of all the world's fear. Is your view of reality built on the greatness of Jesus who came to deal with the world's greatest problem? Is your reality built on the greatness of Jesus, the one who came to deal with the world's greatest problem? In other words, if Jesus is small right now and your sin looks small in your eyes, we're going to fear like everybody else. We're going to we're, we're going to be basically begging that God would just stop the virus so that our lives would stop being messed up. But if Jesus is big and our sin is big, then we will have a reason to cling to Jesus right now for forgiveness, saying, Lord, have mercy on us. There's still brokenness in this world. Have mercy on us. Not only that, but we'll have reason to serve because we've been commissioned and given hope to offer to the world. And this is my prayer for us in this time, that God would restore a reverence and awe at this Jesus that we just saw, the one that, that Peter recognized, he bows before him, he's overcome. That we would have a renewed reverence and awe at the bigness of Jesus so that we could see the world and our problems clearly. That's what we need right now. Secondly, I want to ask you, what are you fishing for? What are you fishing for? What is, what is on your heart right now? Is it, is it your own safety? Is it your, how your finances are being affected? Or are you thinking about the lost world, people that are perishing 
in sin. People that are running after all kinds of other things that are not God. Is that your burden? Right now, church, we have an opportunity maybe that we haven't experienced before, one, one that is unique to history. I mean, we have an opportunity because people are starting to think about the reality of the shortness of life, the transience of things. We have an opportunity to share the gospel right now. And it should also remind us that the times are urgent. People are dying in sin, and we need to offer them the greatest solution, or the solution, which is Christ. I want us to repent of how much time we're wasting on meaningless things and, and turn towards giving our lives for the cause of Christ in this season. We must repent of our fear. We must repent of our lack of faith and put our trust in the God who comes near and identifies with us in our suffering. I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna invite uh, Deanna and Joe back up. God, we thank you that you've shown us our greatest problem. Circumstances uh, lie to us. Those things are real. We don't want to get sick. We, we want to have long life. But, but Lord, we sometimes make too much of those things and forget that sin is the root of all of it. Thank you, Lord, for showing us through Peter that in the face of Jesus Christ, sin is our biggest issue. We need cleansing. And thank you, Jesus Christ, that you've washed us, that you came and you touched us and you gave us your cleanness and took on our uncleanness, Lord. Lord, would you remind us of these things and help us, Lord, to be a light in this dark and broken world right now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.